Hey everyone, welcome back to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. This episode is all about planning for your first ultra, but veterans don't stop listening. There are tons of important takeaways that can be applied to athletes at all stages of the process. Our call starts with a focus on pacing and then moves from topics around fueling, hiking, and working through low moments that will inevitably pop up on race day. In addition, we talk about practical, important parts of the race experience like using aid stations, drop bags, changing shoes, and studying the race map and profile. We finish the call with a brief on making it all about fun. After all, fun is the fuel that perpetuates the process forward over years and truly allows us to find out what we're really capable of. If you're a longtime listener of this pod, please do us a favor and rate and review us on your preferred listening platform. This helps us continue to build our community and get more interesting and important conversations out there. As usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, Great. Well, today's call is um, about preparing for your first ultra. And even if you are a veteran ultra endurance athlete, I think there is probably a lot to be gained from this call. We're going to talk about everything from uh, basic fueling to pacing to hiking um, what to do if you experience a low moment um, making it fun we're going to address some other more specific questions that uh, some athletes had about shoes and um, leveling up in distance we're going to talk a little bit about drop bags and aid stations, kind of try to cover some of the basics here. Um, that way, you know, if you're gearing up for your first ultra, you've got a, yeah, a little bit of a guide to go with. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be really helpful for everybody. Um, I kind of wanted to preface the call with the, yeah, just like, the fact that it's really typical for um, most athletes to run their first ultra without any plan or a strategy at all. Um, this is one of the reasons why we get so many clients um, at Microcosm is because people go into the race experience, not really knowing what to expect, not really planning for it, and then coming out the other side knowing um, a lot of the things that they could improve on and then wanting help in that process. And, uh, you know, what I mentioned before, so much of that stuff comes down to preparation, fueling, um, a strategy. Yes, like a loose strategy. We're not talking about specific splits here, um, but we're talking about specific tools and techniques or pacing, talking about stuff like process-oriented goals, um, the things that can really become a game changer for athletes who, yeah, haven't used those before. Um, I think that first ultra experience really, it just teaches athletes so much about like actually how much has to go into not only the training, but also like the preparation for the race itself um, in, ter in terms of like getting all your, all your stuff in a row there, you know, like drop bags, fueling strategy, all that stuff that I just mentioned. Um, 
And, you know, when we fast forward a bit and get to like that second ultra athletes who have done that extra step of the work usually have huge, huge breakthroughs. Um, and so, you know, I just want to preface this call with all of that. Like we can use the strategies and the tips that we're mentioning here to, yeah, really prepare ourselves, both our bodies and our minds for the event. And then we can start avoiding things like huge bonks or questioning our ability to accomplish things that are difficult. We can start to break down some of that stuff and then just have more success. Um, sorry, I have a little bit of a cold. Uh, all right, let's start with what I think athletes get hung up on the most, um, which is pacing but in reality is probably not the most important thing, but let's start with this one. Cause it's what we think is most important. Um, the, the little prompt here is start slower than you think, then start slower than that. Um, and, and the specific question that we're going to kind of get into is how do I pace for an ultra? I assume that I should be able to run the pace a little faster than my current zone two pace but I also assume that I, I will blow up if I run too much faster than that for too long. Um, how does one figure out how hard one can go and for how long? Um, first of all, to the, to the, the question asker, thank you. Great question. Um, but secondly, I think just thinking about the wording of this question, you know, uh, the fact that we're already inserting ideas like blowing up into our race plan via this question and those internal thoughts. Um, we want to be careful about self-fulfilling prophecies out there. Um, ultras are like a number one place where that kind of stuff can come true. Um, so reframing even a little bit, you know, how can I pace this ultra in a way where I feel like I will be able to finish strong? How can I pace this ultra in a way where I know I'll be running in the later stages of the race? Um, so how do we do that? How do we do that? I think that's that's really challenging. Um, so again, we want to start slower than we think we need to start, and then even slow it down more. And the reason is that is because typically athletes slow down substantially in the latter stages of an ultra. We get tired. There's muscle fatigue. There's muscle damage. Uh, our heart rate starts to get elevated. It can sometimes be hotter in the afternoon than when it and then in the morning. All of those things start to contribute to like rising perceived effort, and then we have to slow down. Um, so what kind of strategies, what kind of tools can we use to inhibit that? Well, going even slower than you need to go at the start of the race is super critical. Um, so I like to have athletes really use a lot of their long runs as uh, a guide for this. Ideally, um, you know, we're, we've got 12 to 16 weeks, depending on the length of your event, worth of long runs to draw from. And that's a lot. That's a lot of long runs. I mean, excluding the taper, you're looking at 10 to 14 long runs um, to use for pacing. And so, there's a huge correlation between how you pace your long run and how you're going to do at the event. Um, athletes who are more experienced really get this and they use that experience really wisely to gauge what percentage of their aerobic 
kind of their easy aerobic zone they need to access in order to go the distance. And they have a good idea of that. But for a beginner athlete who's approaching their first ultra, all you have is those long runs to go off of, which is the key where we think I'm finishing this 20 miler. I'm feeling like this. I'm starting to visualize that I need to go an additional 30 one or 32 miles in order to reach 50k i'm i'm visualizing what that might feel like i'm starting to go through those mental processes and then i'm gauging well i feel like this at the end of 20 miles but i know i need to go further how much slower how much more energy do i need to conserve at the beginning of these long runs in order to tack on an extra 10 miles or a couple more hours of running and i think that's really the key there is building that self awareness um, and so assuming you're going to slow down later is going to help you to slow down at the beginning of the race. So you can try to maintain that effort throughout and even build on that effort a little bit as you go, which is really helpful uh, on the mental side of things. Kristen, you had some good notes here. I want to, I want to bat this around a little bit with you for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like Sorry, you like cut out a little bit there. Can you like reframe the question a little bit? It was a little glitchy on my end. Oh, sorry about that. I just I just wanted to bat that around with you for a second because you had a couple other really good points on pacing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Internet's not totally stable. <laughs> um, I think pacing is great. With so like when um when you're doing these ultras, you need to make sure that you can still have a conversation. So a lot of times I like going into it to, and like talking to the people around me just to keep my own self in check um, for maybe a mile, two miles, four miles, just until you really get into the flow and can like lock in the pace that feels sustainable to you. Um, and, you know, that's, that's also a good way to like meet a new friend on race day, um, get to know, you know, volunteers, get to know like where people are from. Um, but I do think I always revert back to uh, a phrase that my college track coach always used to tell us who always used to say those who lead lose. Um, and while that's not always the case in races, a lot of time, times that's the case. People go out of like out the gate way too fast. And then it's kind of like playing like a video game, just like picking them off through the rest of the race. And that's really fun <laughs> for me. Um, I think that if like, if you're mentally engaged enough, um, reeling people in towards the end of the race is just like one of the coolest things about maintaining your pace and making sure you're fueling well throughout the whole thing. So um, don't start off too fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. I think it's just so important to hear that from somebody else other than me because the more voices that we have kind of chiming in on that slow down, go easy at the beginning. Um, it's just going to make it easier for people to understand that. Cause I think even for begin for, I remember my first ultra silver rush 50 and I, I still had, even though I was so new to the sport, I had delusions of grandeur out there. I thought, you know, I'm going to do so great. Like I'm a well-trained athlete, you know, but I, it was still my first ultra. I didn't know, you know, anything compared to what I know now, um, or even what I knew, you know, a year later going into ultras and being very naive, although sometimes that can allow you to, to run a bit faster, maybe get outside of what you're capable of. I think it also is super dangerous. Um, not like from a health standpoint, 
but from a like, I'm just going to go out too hard. I'm going to think about like finishing this race at a, in a specific position. Like maybe I'm going to go top 10, you know, I think I'm a great athlete, but it's like, in reality, we're already starting to attach ourselves to these outcomes that are like well outside of our control. And we actually don't have the experience to know what is within our control. And so pacing is one of those things that is within our control. And so we do have to kind of like hold those, you know, those external expectations. We have to think about those outcomes and our delusions of grandeur that happen natural process of being humans that sign up for competitive events. We want to do well. Um, and to your point, Kristen, it, it's fun to pass people at the end of a race. Like that's a hundred percent my racing strategy, you know, today as an athlete who's been doing this for a long time. Um, I love that approach. I, you know, advocate for that with, with my athletes constantly not to lead but to try to build on the effort as they go. And that kind of strategy works great for an athlete who is doing their first race because it's so, it feels so good mentally to be finishing good, you know, finishing well, to be moving through the pack, to be uh, continuing to run late in race. Um, there are some things that sometimes make it difficult for us to, slow down or we don't realize we're going too fast at the beginning and i think that's like pre-race nerves the adrenaline that takes place you know at the beginning of the race we care about these things so it makes us feel stuff um you know for some athletes they they get you know nervous um i know that i'm one of those athletes uh sarah i'm curious if you could maybe give us just like one tool for you know working through some of those nerves and kind of like just overall, just like grounding, just calming ourselves so we can actually stay within ourselves at the beginning of that race. Yeah, I definitely think um, like really early on, especially like those process oriented goals so that you're just totally like just executing um, in the beginning um, and not too much in your head can be really good. So um, I like to just focus on um, like, I just like to try to have a, a few like things I'm going to do in the first couple miles of the run that I like, okay, I'm making sure that I'm having some water, whatever I'm checking in with myself. Um, and then I think the other thing that, that if you just work on throughout training and like really make it part of your training, you can do this during the race is like body checks. Um, so I really think doing a body scan before and after a run, just sort of going head to toe and checking in with where's there's tension, where's their relaxation, and then checking in with yourself during the run. And so if you are purposefully asking yourself, am I going too fast? Am I going too fast? And you have that regular conversation with your body before and after runs and during training, you'll be able to notice if you're going too fast, you know? So that awareness piece, building that up during training and then intentionally checking in with yourself during the run. Yeah, awesome. And I think that goes nicely um, in this, kind of in the same vein as what Kristen mentioned. Like, don't be afraid to chat with somebody at the beginning of the race, especially in the first like 40 minutes to an hour, where if you go too hard, it's very hard to undo that. And, you know, there are these, and we can start to move into this question about fueling, 
but our metabolism, we burn both fat and carbohydrates in these events. And if you go harder, you burn more carbohydrates than you burn fat and your body has a lot of fat stores. And so if you can, and well-trained athletes are freaking awesome at this, they can move really quickly while burning more fat than carbohydrates. And so they're able to theoretically sustain their effort for longer. But if you go too hard, if you're not chit chatty, you're going to be more reliant on carbs and really need a lot more carbs. And this isn't an, I'm not advocating to restrict carbohydrates or not taking carbohydrates as you'll hear in the next kind of phase of this call. But if you go too hard, it affects your metabolism. Um, particularly if you, you know, you're really pushing up a hill, you hit lactate threshold that, you know, athletes who are unaware of that kind of stuff end up really paying the price. They have a lot of energy highs and lows during the race, um, rather than being able to kind of sustain the effort throughout by taking in the fuel that they need. So going slow is going to help you metabolically too. So think about that. I think we need to, you know, our minds, we get really attached to, the delusions of grandeur. I want to run this race well. I care about it. And so we we sometimes work against ourselves in those situations. And the beginning of the race is one of those times where we really need to focus in on, like you said, Sarah, hitting those process-oriented goals. I'm going to chat with people out there. I'm going to make a new friend. I'm going to make sure I'm going slower than what you know feels slow already um, and really dialing things back. I'm going to work on listening to my body and grounding. How is my breathing? How do I feel? Do I, like, am I breathing hard right now? All of these cues that can let us know whether we're pacing correctly or not. All right. So I think like beyond pacing, the second thing that is just so challenging for athletes is figuring out how to eat out there. And we're not going to get too much in the weeds on this because we are doing a specific nutrition call with Kylie next week. And we've already done a call and have a blog post on this uh, up on the website already and have for a, quite a long time now. So I would encourage athletes to check out those resources for, you know, really skilling up on this. But we do want to highlight the importance of having a race fueling plan, especially, you know, fueling is a process oriented goal. It's something that we use to make the race smaller, it allows us to break things down into little pieces and focus on stuff that is within our control that eventually, when we add them all up, gets us to that finish line. Um, and so just a few things to think about. Um, one, I know uh, I've seen this a million times with at new, at newer athletes that I get to coach is that, you know, they think going into your race and having like a, a couple Oreos or like a packet of goldfish or whatever is like enough to get you to the finish line, you know, eating only when you're hungry is enough to get you to that finish line. Um, their, their plan doesn't usually include it's like, I need some electrolytes, but I don't know how much, um, like maybe we're not even like timing any of that stuff either. Like there's no process involved, right? Like it's kind of like all based on intuition and things like that, but we actually know the science suggests that we need to take all of that and, and make it into a system. We need a system and a routine out there to actually effectively fuel these races so we don't feel like crap at the end. So we actually can move through the race 
systematically and really effectively. Um, Kylie, I'm, I just want to ask you to, yeah, just kind of give the 101 here, knowing we're going to do a deep dive on this next week. Um, what, I don't know, two or three things should a first time ultra runner think about when going into this race, in, into their first ultra? Yeah, so I think um, a big thing that a lot of athletes don't think about is what am I doing actually in the lead up to the to the race? And we can definitely dive into that more next week too. Um, but want to be strategic with um, you know taking in more carbohydrate uh, pre race, um, and then also what is that pre race meal going to look like and I say meal because sometimes ultras do start in the evening too so it might not always be like a breakfast meal um however I have had athletes practice with breakfast breakfast meals and then have that before like a night race too um but I, I see far too many athletes just saying that their nerves get in the way and they can only eat like a bar or a piece of toast and you're literally going out there and going to be running, you know, for hours upon end, you need to have an actual meal. Like I'm talking 700 calories or more. Um, and that means also that you need to time that right. Um, so you can't eat that like an hour before you go out there. Well, you can, it's just might not feel that great. So <laughs> thinking about like a higher, um, carb, higher calorie meal, uh, beforehand that's it can have some protein and fat because you are going to be doing an ultra so as you mentioned we our digestion when we're exercising does slow down uh in regards to blood is diverted away from the gut but in ultras it's not quite as much as like if you're running a fast marathon or half marathon or something um so that's one piece that I feel like is neglected. Um, second piece is going to be uh, making sure that you've got the three keys. And I've mentioned this before to your fueling plan. So your hydration, your electrolytes, and your calories. Uh, and a subset of calories would be carbohydrate um, every hour. Even if you're doing an ultra and you're trying to maybe utilize fat or take in a little bit more fat and protein, uh, you still need carbohydrates. So you need a minimum of 30 grams of carbs an hour. And so I think that piece, you know, it can be taken to the extreme on one side and the other. Like we don't necessarily need a hundred grams of carbs an hour in an ultra either. Um, and that actually might cause stomach distress. So trying to figure that out ahead of time, you know, how much how many carbs an hour do I tolerate relatively well? And then kind of figuring out from there, like what is my fluid intake and electrolyte intake going to look like? And along with that, there has to be a timing strategy too. So it's not, oh, I will haphazardly take in a random sandwich here or a gel here and um, expect to get through a long ultra feeling like half decent. Um, I, I've seen far too many races ruined by just lack of a nutrition plan. Um, 
And then the other piece is going to be, uh, I, I think, making sure that you start this process uh, well in advance. So like two to three months in advance, because if you just say, oh, I'll wait till like a month before, uh, then you realize the intricacies of these kind of nutrition plans. Um, and, and I would suggest too having a base plan and then a backup plan too. So like if you get into the intricacies of it, um, it takes time to actually practice that and be able to to execute it in a way that you feel confident is going to work for you. So those are just a couple things. I would say once you kind of figure out what your plan is going to be, then on race day, having um, a plan for your like crew and like your nutrition bags and what you're going to carry and all of that can be really beneficial as well uh, versus you know, I'm just going to grab stuff at aid stations or have some gels in my pack, et cetera. Like I suggest maybe dialing out some organized, like fueling bags for yourself. Um, and, and also your crew that if you're allowed to have crew, hopefully that was a summary. Like, I think, I I don't think I went too deep there. (laughs) No, Kylie, good work. I think it's so hard to not go in the weeds on this because I sometimes feel like, is it like a good plan or is it executing a good nutrient? Like it, you know, I I think it's so difficult to determine, like, is it like nailing all my long runs or is it like practicing good fueling for three months? That's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like they're both so important. And I think athletes often really forget that, um, especially athletes who are not, um, experience. They don't realize the implications of not having good uh, fueling practice and not having a strategy going into a race. It can be your first ultra. And we see this with veterans too. So guys, if in, in gals, if you, if you know, if you think you know something, I bet you there's something here and you'll learn more in the call next week that you didn't know before that will allow you to up your game. Every time we do this call and conversation with Kylie, I learned something new to tweak. And, and, and I think something that I just heard that is really important is having plan A and having plan B, especially in the longer stuff. Say you're leveling up to a 50 miler. Oh, I'm going to be out there for three, four more hours than I would be in my 50 K. Think about how much strain that is on your digestive system, just that additional amount of time that you're going to be out there. Wow, that's a lot of strain. Like you're going to have to problem solve. You're going to have to have backup plans unless you want to walk it in. And I'm not coaching anyone to walk it in. And I don't think any of the coaches here are either. Like we're coaching you guys to reach your potential, to be pushing as much as you can out there and exploring and finding out who you guys are as humans and athletes. And so like, having plan A, having plan B, I think it like, maybe even plan C, you know, like, you just don't know what's going to happen. Although there's so much uncertainty. Um, so practicing this stuff and breaking it down. Whenever athletes ask me, what is a process oriented goal that I can think about going into my race? How do I break a race down into small parts? So it feels tangible, you know, so it feels doable. Okay, fueling every 15 minutes fueling every 20 minutes, setting that reminder on your watch. And then, you know, 
just going from one reminder to the next reminder to the next reminder. Um, I, I mean, I use that strategy like, you know, 10 years into this or whatever. Like I, I do that in, in everything now. Like it really works. It's very effective. Um, so I think awesome. one thing- Go ahead, Sarah. One thing that's important, a mistake I think I see a lot of people make is think breaking it down in miles instead of minutes. And so I think like you heard TJ say 15 minutes, 20 minutes, he's not saying every mile eat something, every two miles eat something, because especially with the, you know, every ultra is different and some miles are 20 minute miles and some miles are eight minute miles. And right. So really thinking about time and not distance when you're thinking about fueling. Yes. Great reminder. I actually was just working with an athlete on that exact thing. And I think that's so vital to realize like the gold standard for all of this is how many, how much, how many grams of carbohydrate per hour or how many calories per hour. You can calculate it either way. I think how much sodium per hour or electrolytes and how much fluid per hour. If you know those three things, fluids, calories, sodium, you can one, one, you can develop a sense of what your baseline is. And when you have a sense of what your baseline is, you can then tweak things based on how you feel. And that's how you fine tune and develop a really accurate fueling plan. If you don't know it per hour, you don't know anything. I'm sorry. Like you have to know your, your stuff per hour. Um, that's how, cause these races are really done by hour, right? Cause the terrain is the, is what takes our pace from the roads where we can calculate things by, you know, what our splits are and it throws all of that out the window. So it's, it's by hour guys. It's always by hour. Um, all right, let's move on here. So hiking, the prompt is hiking is good and normal. Um, Kristen, Get us started with this one. Yeah, hiking is totally normal, guys. <laughs> um, I just want to like exaggerate that as much as possible. I know that, um, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of get a little squeamish when they're like, oh, but I had to walk up the hill. No, 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 no. Like, that is normal. That is totally normal. Every all the coaches are like nodding their heads. Um, Hiking a hill doesn't make you less than, it makes you human. It makes you normal. Um, we have all been there. Killian has been there. Courtney DeWalter has been there. Like if you have to hike a hill, you have to hike a hill. Um, that's totally fine. There are, there are so many people that do that. 99.9% .9 of people do that. Um, and it's also like, you can use that as motivation to run faster on the downhill. You can use that as motivation to work on hills and training. Um, but keep in mind that you're, you might not be able to run every single hill that you do that you see. So it's, it's normal. Don't get down on yourself about it. Yeah. Thank you. I think just like starting this off by normalizing that hiking is part of this process is really important. I was working with an athlete earlier this week who kept checking into their log on days where I prescribed runs and they would say their activity type was a hike because they were hiking part of their run. So they were, again, the self-fulfilling prophecy idea, self-limiting belief idea. It's like all my runs are actually hikes. I hike the hills. Sometimes I even need a little time to recover. 
on the downhill. So I walk a little bit and, and I'm not running. And that framing is, in, is not correct. Um, and we need to get on top of the, that right now because that can later affect the way that we think about ourselves going into these difficult and challenging uh, races. So hiking is part of the process. It's normal, right? Like as Kristen mentioned, um, a couple of things to think about, like hiking is more efficient on hills that are roughly 12% grade or more. Um, that's depending on the level of the athlete, there's going to be a crossover point, like a well-trained athlete is going to run with most of their normal form, all of their normal like biomechanics up to around 10 to 12% grade. And then things start to become less efficient. Uh, there's gravity, the steepness of the hill, it's pulling us back, everything feels harder. Um, and so, you know, I, I look at those numbers and I use them as a rough guide, you know, oh, it's, this is about 12%. My effort levels picking up. I can't see the top of the hill. I'm hiking. Um, and so that's another great cue, um, especially for athletes who are looking to level up, like practicing running the hills that you can see the top of and allowing yourself to get your heart rate up a little bit, get into maybe a steady state feel, a zone three, low zone three feel is totally okay. Um, but if that hill is really long, it's much more efficient, especially in the context of a long run to save your energy and hike. Again, like sometimes early in the race, you see athletes charging up hills. And, you know, as a coach, it's very easy for me to look around and make judgments about people um, okay, you know, that's way too hard for you. Look at your body language, look at your breathing. Like I can go to a race and I can just get a sense for who is going to really struggle as a result of going up, running up hills too early. And so hike early, hike often. That's like a mantra that I use and that I like my athletes to use, um, especially in those first couple ultras. Hike early, hike often. Keeps the heart rate down allows the metabolism to do its thing, to burn a little bit more fat than carbohydrate, ideally. Um, it, you know, it's going to help prevent unnecessary muscle breakdown and muscle fatigue. You know, the ups and the downs, yes, they have different demands, um, but, you know, our legs can suffer either way in a, in a race. So if you hike, it's going to help you. Um, and so the more we take away or challenge the stigma that might exist around that, especially when we look at great runners, you know, Kristen mentioned Courtney DeWalter, Kristen mentioned Killian, um, you know, they're actually like the world's greatest hikers. Those guys hike at every race they do. You know, I've seen Killian at Hard Rock. I've seen Courtney at Hard Rock. Those guys, they, they hike, they're hiking grades lower than 12% you know, and it's so important to recognize that like hiking is efficient and it's smart. Um, and so, yeah, let's all like work to embrace the hike a little bit more. Um, even if it's in the context of an easy run or it's in the context of your long run, uh, that doesn't mean you're hiking for training. Like that just means that hiking is part of the training. It's part of being a trail runner. All right. I love that topic. I just, I feel like people, and you guys know who you are. Let's build self-awareness through this conversation. If you, if you feel like you're 
creating a narrative for yourself around hiking, um, yeah, maybe challenge those thoughts a little bit. Um, hiking is just, it's such an important part of this that we, we want to make that something that we feel confident in using, um, like a weapon out there almost. Um, and in that same vein, you know, how do we rise up in moments that are challenging? I like athletes to think about that long hill climb as a rise up moment. This is what we came here for. We came here for that 2000 foot climb. That's going to take, you know, 30 minutes and mental toughness and grit and perseverance. Like that's why we sign up for these things. So how do we deal with those low moments? Um, Sarah, let me, let me shoot it over to you for a second here. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So one thing that can be helpful um, is limiting the number of decisions that you're making on race day and limiting like any sort of um, like high level of thinking that you have to do. So an example of this would be like making sure to not have too many options in your um, drop bags, <clears throat> not to have too many, you know, oh, I'm going to bring like six different layers and I'll just see what I need. You want to have you want to have the things figured out ahead of time. So you're just grabbing things because we want to free up our brain space so that when, um, so we have greater capacity to manage the negative thoughts or the big emotions that are coming up. So that's sort of like a, a strategy to, to lessen the impact of those things. And then when the negative thoughts do come up, um, I think like productive distractions can be really helpful. So purposefully not thinking about whatever it is that your brain's trying to think about. You know, you remember your brain is actively trying to get you to stop running because it thinks you're in danger because there's no logical reason to do what you're doing. So the thoughts that you're going to naturally have are going to be uh, trying to get you to stop. So every time those thoughts come up, you want to give yourself something to do like um, run from tree to tree or focus on the next mile or um, counting and just giving your brain a thing other than the thought that it's naturally having. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. I think those are, are so beneficial. Um, a, a, a nice tip is like, change something up. You know, you're, you're about to go into that like really tough part of the course. Maybe you're already feeling a little bit tired. Change something up, you know, maybe try a different gel. Um, obviously something that you've practiced with before, but like maybe a different flavor of that, like mix it up, maybe put a different song on your uh, iPod or something like that. Just to change that stimulus, it can kind of like change your perception of the challenge. Another thing that I like to think about too is like maybe lean in to that challenge. Um, in, in Zen teachings, there's the idea of not saying I should be feeling something it's I'm supposed to be feeling this and when we stop trying to when we stop trying to uh, distract ourselves and instead we accept the challenge we're going through um, which is an opposite approach from you know distracting yourself or changing things up but also equally as important and beneficial is we accept that challenge it might not take the pain away, but it can start to take maybe the suffering side of it away. Um, I think sometimes as ultra runners, we almost glorify the challenges 
and that there is suffering inherent in that. But I believe that that's actually a choice that we're making. We're choosing to not accept that challenge. And so I like my athletes to also think about like those challenges as like what we came for. When we think about those challenges as inherent in the process, we are accepting of those challenges. We're interested in figuring out who we are when we make it through those challenges. Um, and I think that there can be a lot of power in that. Um, Kylie or, or, or Kristen, do you guys want to talk? Kylie, you want to toss it around? Well, I was just going to say that I think that's part of the reason why we give our athletes the training that we do too, you know, is like part of your training. The reason why you're doing your training is to kind of get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And if, and if that doesn't make sense to you, or you don't feel like you get uncomfortable in your training, then our, the coaches can kind of help guide you because that's part of the purpose of some of, some of your training. I'm not saying you do that all the time, but you know, hard, high intensity workouts or um, long training block weekends, or, you know, doing a workout in the middle of your long run. Um, if you're not doing also, if on that note, like sometimes my athletes don't actually do like a workout in the middle of their long run. Um, and they'll just kind of like skip over it. Um, I, I think like being intentional and that that's the reason why you have a coach is like, we're trying to get you ready for that discomfort that might be coming, uh, for you on what well, I will be coming for you on race day. Cause you're always going to have some of that. Um, and so like, just like you were saying, embracing that it is part of the process and knowing, um, that the training is meant to give you some of that, uh, challenge too, to get your mind and your body ready for that. I love that. I, that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I want to like echo everything that Kylie said. I also want to add in that, like, there are so many things that happen that are outside of your control on race day that like the training is one of the things that you can control. You can work with your coach to practice. You can work with your coach to like develop mental strategies. And so I think really leaning into that and making sure that, you know, like if there is a tempo or a workout in the middle of your long run, you do the tempo or the workout in the middle of your long run. It's there for a reason. And that is something you can control in that moment that will prepare you for what's coming and for like, not just the race you're training for, but like two years from now, you know, a, a run or a race, like these things are so foundational in like the, your long-term development as human humans and athletes that like the things that you can control are the things that you definitely should do, especially when you have support in controlling those things. So don't skip those workouts. Fully agree. And, you know, I know all, uh, every coach kind of has their own individualized, like pre, uh, race email that they send to athletes, uh, you know, a few times a year for the, before their big races. And my, the one that I send to my athletes always has a section that says plan for a race that doesn't go as planned. How will you rise up in those moments? How will you respond? Visualize those processes and your visualize yourself working through those challenges before you ever get to race day. You know, that, that week, that taper week, that big taper week, the week before your race, that's a mental training week for that, you know, for athletes that I coach. Or I continuously prompt them 
to set their process oriented goals to, cause we want to lean on those during challenges to, you know, take a little bit of time, five, 10 minutes a day to visualize working through what challenges, you know, we might anticipate having out there. Um, and then to really in great depth and detail, visualize yourself working through those challenges. Is it taking a gel? Is it, you know, picking your head up when you power hike up that hill and switching up your body language? Is it switching the music in your earphones? Is it like taking a, a deep breath and like, I accept this moment, whatever it is, um, we need to develop those skills well ahead of time. The wrong time to do that is when you're in the suck. Cause this, these, this is the ultra running. It's going to hurt. Like it hurts at every level. It hurts Killian. It hurts Courtney. It hurts the, you know, it, it, it's challenging for every single athlete. Um, that's part of the reason why we all do this. So prepare yourselves ahead of time. Um, all right, let's, let's keep it flowing here. Um, in terms of, I love this question. Do you recommend changing shoes or socks during a 50 mile race? Um, Sarah, why don't you just, why don't you just knock this one out of the park for us? No. <laughs> I don't recommend changing your shoes or socks during a 50 mile race. And I really don't even do it during hundreds. Uh, some people get a lot of swelling in their feet during hundreds. It's not a bad idea to have backup pair of shoes for that. Or once I did like a race in the winter and my shoes got soaking wet. And uh, so like, if that's an issue for maybe like, a, like if you have really wet conditions and you're worried about blisters, but like, otherwise I would not deal with it. Think about it. Just go, just go, go, go. And don't like worry about your shoes. Yeah. Awesome. Great answer. Yeah. Like 50 K 50 mile, no need to change those shoes. Uh, maybe in, unless your feet are soaked, um, hundred K and up, if there's foot swelling, uh, could be a good idea to change into a shoe that's maybe a half size bigger. Um, but again, like hopefully you're not, your first ultra is not a hundred K or a hundred miler. Um, you know, I would, I would really strongly recommend against that. All right. Um, I, I really like this question too. We're kind of getting into some nuts and bolts type of stuff right now. Um, is a 50K the longest training run you would recommend when training for a 50 mile or up event? Um, what's the feasibility of running longer in, in training? Um, would any of you guys like to give this one a shot? All right. That's cool. I'll take it. <laughs> I like this question. All right. Uh, it's it. There's no black and white answer to this. I think 50k is probably the longest distance that's feasible to go. Self-supported or un, like unsupported, where you carry everything yourself or you use in maybe your own aid station. I think some really really experienced ultra runners can pull off some longer stuff. Um, but in general, most athletes. 50k would probably be the limit. Also, we have to think about um, the recovery involved in running distances that long on um, substantial like amounts of time. It takes the body to recover both uh, metabolically 
and physically from that. And sometimes mentally too, right? Like that's a really long distance. So yes, uh, if you're a newer athlete, you most likely won't even run a 50K to prepare for a 50 miler. You might do a marathon. Um, but again, you know, that's probably more for an intermediate runner. You're working up to that 50 miler. We're thinking more about doing like a lot of 20 milers. We're probably running a little bit more uh, for time and pushing that time on feet a little bit. And uh, we're doing a lot more back-to-back long runs as a way to mimic that race day stress. Um, maybe some caveats to this, running a 100K or 100 miler, we could use a longer race at a very specific point in time in the training to prepare as a stepping stone for that longer event. Um, 100Ks, 100 milers that run long, maybe they have more technical terrain, more elevation, they're steeper. A 50 mile race could be a good proxy for that. It could be a good way to train uh, specifically to prepare the body for an event like that. But again, only at a very specific time, most likely only for um, a stronger athlete who has a bit more experience because those races, uh, they inherently take longer to recover from. So we want to be mindful of that. We don't want to get to race day tired physically or mentally. Um, yeah. I think that's probably. Can I just say like, uh, I find, you know, athletes often want us to give them big distances. They feel like they need a big distance for the confidence or whatever. And just like, remember why you signed up with us and to trust us. And that, you know, we really like are trying to give you less stress on the body to get the adaptations if we can. So there's no need usually to do that kind of distance. We can get some great adaptations and help you in your training without stressing your body that much. Totally. And I think thinking about slogging out these really long miles is just a very old way of thinking about preparing for ultras. You know, in today's world of training for ultras, we're using a lot more focused training interventions, very specific workouts that mimic the demands of the race and prepare you physically and mentally. We're using like really specific uh, back-to-back long runs that both push you one day and then push you the next day to get the metabolic adaptations that we need to build fatigue resistance and stuff like that. And we, we're spreading the stress out um, for a very specific reason, right? Like acutely stressful days are much riskier. Um, but when we spread the stress out, it's a lot easier for your system to adapt. And that's not to say we won't do some acutely stressful days. It's just we want to be very purposeful with how we lay those out. All right. How about using drop bags and aid stations? Kristen? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I think if you, so first of all, I think a lot of people try to get in and out of aid stations really quickly. Um, and one really fun tip and trick to look like a pro when you're doing it is if you have an extra vest or can like borrow an extra vest, um, stock it with what you'll need for that, that next section of the race when you can pick up your drop bag. Um, and there are videos of Leah Yingling doing this and it looks so sick, um, where she slides out of the, the vest that she's been running in and she just pops the one that she's about to start running in and she just takes off. So stocking it ahead of time with what you are going to need for the next stretch of the race, um, and putting that in your drop bag, take one off, put one on and go. 
Yeah, that's like the ultimate boss mode for working, like not having to worry about finding stuff in your drop bag. Just take take a vest, leave a vest. Uh, yeah, I really love that strategy because like what Kristen is is really saying here is like, it's important to be efficient, especially if it's your first ultra. Maybe you're you're chasing cutoffs a little bit out there. We don't want to waste too much time. Um, but maybe in the same vein, it's also sometimes important to take a breath at an aid station and not feel rushed. Um, particularly if you're you're feeling certain sensations, certain emotions, maybe you're having a low point out there. Um, so I think like, I don't know, using the right approach in the right situation. Um I actually love going to hundred milers because you often see a great combination of both of those things illustrated. Like you see runners who are like feeling really good and they work through like with their crew very quickly and then they get out of the aid station. Then you see others who are like kind of snacking, listening to their body. Maybe they're problem solving a little bit. They, you know, they're, they sit down, they take a moment. Um, and so there's, there's different ways to do that. But I think overall, the, the key is to have an idea of what you need before you get to that aid station. Um, that way you don't have to make as many decisions once you get there. And that's another really good reason why you might want to just have a vest ready to go or a Ziploc with what you need ready to go. Already predetermined, we're using food and snacks and different stuff that we have used in previous long runs that we know that we're going to need. And then we just take it and we go because the more tired you get, the more difficult it is to make decisions, right? So like if stuff is like clearly marked and easy for you to pick up and take, take with you, you know, it's just going to be so much easier to get out there. You have to make one, you're not going to have to make as many decisions. Um, I also wanted to add to that. If you, um, if you have any food allergies or any, you know, any issues at all, it is going to be much better to pack your own food ahead of time and not rely on aid station food. Cause there's going to be cross-contamination. There's going to be some like weird stuff that you don't you don't want to get into on race day. Uh, so just be aware of that too. Um, I know some race directors kind of post what sort of um, snacks and food and stuff will be at the aid stations. Um, so just be aware of what will be there. Like TJ, you just said, taking inventory of like what you're going to need if you have a crew and just be able to rattle that off as soon as you come into the aid station. Yeah, totally. Sarah, why don't you take the last word on this one? Yeah, I, I think just in general, relying on the aid station is just like not great, I, especially like you're training, like we talked about at the beginning, you want to have your own fuel dialed anyway. And like Kristen said, like it, race directors will put lists up and a lot of times they're not accurate. And so you go in thinking you're going to get your roasted potatoes at mile 50 and there are no roasted potatoes. and <laughs> That's your plan, right? So I really think that, yeah, and like I talked about before, and like TJ said, limiting your decisions um, so that you don't have to think about anything. So I think of using the aid station as like a place to take a breath, but not a place where you're planning on getting your fuel or getting supplies unless it's in your drop bag. Like you should have those on your own. 100%. I mean, you said that so well, Sarah. And, and one thing I, I think we actually forgot, which is kind of in the same vein, is part of this preparation process is not only trying to determine what they'll have at the aid stations in case you need to problem solve and get something different if something in your fueling plan isn't working, 
But the other piece of this preparation process is knowing the course, just taking time to study your course map to know and to start to think about, okay, here's where it could be really difficult. I need to mentally prepare for that part of the course. Here's where maybe I'll make up a little time. Here's where the terrain is going to be technical. I'm definitely going to be moving slower. And like a lot of good races actually have a nice description of each aid to aid station segment of the course. It not only allows you to break the course down into smaller parts and start to begin that visualization process of working through and going through the race mentally, but it's going to then kind of give you that extra leg up when you actually get out there to the race, you're going to be able to pre-plan a lot better. Oh, I've got this really long climb coming. So I might want to grab an extra flask out of my drop bag here. That way I have that extra hydration. Cause I know that with that like long climb, I'm just going to be out there a bit longer. Um, and so know the course guys, the onus is on you to do this work. It is not on your coach to walk you through it. You are the athlete you are the one that is going to be going through it on race day. If you have a question, please ask. Like we're experts, we can point you towards the right resources. But if you have signed up for a race and have not looked at the race profile, have not looked at the terrain, have not looked at the weather or where you're going to be, like all of these things. And believe me, it feels obvious, but it's not because athletes forget to do this stuff all the time. And you need, to do your homework in order to be successful out there. All right, last word, let's make this about fun. I think that we often forget that we choose to do these things. We get wrapped up in how hard it is sometimes. And in the end, it's gotta be fun. The process of training to get there has to be mostly fun too. That's what fuels and kind of like sustains what we do. Um, I would love to just like get a word on making it fun from all the coaches before we close out the call. Kristen, start us off. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, it should, it should be fun. It's one of these things that like, we are all a little crazy. Like there's something, you know, like we're all weird. And that's like the beauty of the sport where you can like go out and like be in the forest on the trail, get dirty and like, just like unapologetically be yourself in these beautiful places. And like, to me, that's what makes it so fun. So love that. (laughs) Kylie. I usually like to say, you know, get involved in the when you're out there in the energy of the um in the energy of the event uh, a lot of races will have really um fun like spectators and aid stations and kind of like you said like maybe getting to know like maybe talking to someone um just taking that pressure off yourself a little bit uh by kind of immersing yourself in the in the experience i think is one way to to do that um i'm just specifically thinking about like UTMB was like, there was just a lot of energy there. And then like, um, uh, Havelina, like they have, uh, their aid stations there, like are kind of like parties and, and not, and that's not to say like, you shouldn't take it seriously, but at the same time, finding that balance, I think can be good, uh, rather than getting like, so, uh, anxious and, and getting caught up in that, um, just like, 
you know, tensing up a sort of energy. Yeah. Hold it loosely. Like try to set those delusions of grandeur aside. You know, even if you're a veteran athlete listening to this, who is pushing for a podium, um, try to set that aside and just get down to like the basics. Like, why did you choose to do this in the first place? If fun wasn't on your list, if it wasn't like maybe the number one thing on your list, that's worth investigating. Cause like this stuff, it involves so much commitment, so many challenges that have to be worked through. Um, gosh, I mean, if it's not for seeking joy, um, at some part of the whole adventure, um, I'm, I wonder, you know, if I, I would question whether or not the athletes doing it for the, the right reasons, the right intrinsic reasons, um, Sarah. Yeah, I think, um, connecting with people is huge, especially since there are a lot of hours without people <laughs> to connect to. So whenever I come into an aid station, I really try to engage and thank the volunteers and like connect with volunteers. And um, I am like Strava friends with so many people that I've met in races who um, we spent miles together and like, you know, we connected and like that. Absolutely. So connecting, I think is huge. And then I am like, I woohoo on my downhills and like do the like airplane arms. And like, I try, I like sing sometimes, like I just try to bring the energy and like, just make it fun. I do that on my training runs. Um, you know, like really if I, cause there, there'll be lots of times with less energy. So if I'm feeling the energy, I just try to like really bring it and spread it to everybody around me. Yeah. I love that. And that really makes me smile because it just reminds me a little bit of like how I feel during a race sometimes. And we all have those like highs and lows that we go through out there. And when you're feeling one of those highs, lean into it and, you know, woohoo or do some airplane arms. I don't know, sing your song, like whatever's in your iPod, sing those lyrics out loud like just let it like fly a little bit out there because like it's those moments that help carry you through and like we're we're looking for that out there i mean that's like the really special stuff that exists amidst like the challenges and the really difficult like trials that we can go through in these long ultras and without a little bit of that joy i think um man, we all start to maybe take it a little bit too seriously and, and kind of forget like what our, our true nature is and the reason why we really do this stuff. Um, it's supposed to be fun, right? Like I, as hard as it is, it's got to be fun. And the training process, it, it really, it really needs to have a lot of that injected into it. Even when we're doing the tough stuff, we're doing that long run tempo, we're mimicking the challenges of race day. Um, I hope somewhere deep within us all, we get some joy out of doing that. I, I know that I do. I'm not the same as everybody, but th this stuff takes hard work. And so trying to find those places of joy really, really carries us through. Um, yeah, Sarah, thank you. And this is, I, Zena's smiling here because she always reminds me before my races to pick my head up and to just acknowledge how beautiful it is out there. Um, and, you know, the spaces and the places that we get to see as runners, 
um, when we're in the suck and we're going through those challenges, it's very easy to that's, think that that's all that there is. Um, but instead, you know, like we are surrounded by beauty. Many of us get to do these races in, in beautiful, natural places. And um, I mean, that's really the key. That's something that I really connect with. So yeah, when in doubt, pick that head up. There's joy in that. There's joy in seeing how far your feet can take you. All right, guys, I, I really appreciate y'all hanging on a little bit after the nine o'clock hour. Um, yeah, all the coaches, thanks. You guys did great. And we'll see you all next week. Have a good weekend. Bye.